Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast, Talking Murder with My Mother. So, hello, Mother. Hello. And uh, today, we are going to be talking about Barbara Cornelius, everyone. What a lovely name. Yes. I like it. So, my mother doesn't realize who Barbara Cornelius is yet. I'm going to show her the picture, and as soon as she sees the picture, she's going to realize that I've mentioned this before. The picture I'm going to show my mother right now, and again, I'll put it on the uh, social media once I, you know, get that all done. It's uh, New York City Department of Records. Mom, do you recognize this photo? It's a very famous photo that I've seen once before, and uh, yeah, um, if I remember correctly, something about a murder-suicide. Correct. Okay. So I showed this picture to my mother for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Uh, again, recap, I went to funeral school, graduated with a degree in mortuary science. So I've known about this picture for about 20 years and could never figure out the backstory to it. And somehow I came across it about two months ago and I was like, oh good, goddamn, we have to do this. So a uh, little bit of a, uh, again, always have to do this apparently. Um, but again, I will pre-record it. I haven't done it yet. Sorry, everybody. Um, warning, coarse language. Fuck yeah. There's always going to be on this podcast. Two, we're going to be talking about death and murder. Um, so it's not going to be good times in the sense of we're not going to be happy, happy, joy, joy, uh, about it. We enjoy what we're going to talk about, but it's not a fun topic in the sense of it's very depressing. So we're going to add some comedy to it, everybody. Never, never uh, talking badly about the victims for the most part. Uh, there happen to be a few cases where the victims will be shitheads. But for the majority, always looking to the person committing the crime as the asshole. So showed my mother this picture two weeks ago. And just to give you a little description of what it is, it is there are uh, multiple shots of the crime scene, uh, but it is a Long view from the end of the bed towards the foot of the bed. There is a side shot of the bed, and then there is an upper view. I don't know how the hell they got this shot, but it's awesome. And I'll post them all, again, from New York City Department of Records. And it is a man and a woman on the bed, and appears to be a murder, but it's not. It's a murder-suicide, so let's talk about it. Here, Mom, here's a picture of uh, Mrs. Barbara Cornelius when she was alive, so you're not just looking at a picture of her dead body covered in blood. Um... I mean, it's also like a, I guess a picture, but it's not, you know, how pictures were back in the day when they put them in the newspaper. It's not the greatest quality, but you can tell what she looked like. Um, it looks almost like a, funny as it may sound, like a postcard almost. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like one of those trading cards. Yeah. 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 Oh, so that's what she looked like. Okay. So we're talking about 1915 here. June 1915 going back. And... This is what I find in, I only have a few newspaper articles on it, but there, a few of them are pretty lengthy. So just to give you a synopsis, Logan's Port Pharaoh's Reporter, June 17th, 1915. Mysterious is the double shooting. A mysterious double tragedy is the, good Lord. A mysterious double tragedy in the select residential district of Brooklyn claimed the lives of a young woman and a man Earlier today, Mrs. Barbara Cornelius, 22 years old. No, not true. 25 years old. I checked. Uh, in a bunch of other news articles, they correct that it's 25. She is the wife of Carmen Cornelius. Carmen spelled C-A-R-M-A-N. 
uh, a, pr a produce merchant. She was murdered as she lay in bed by a youth who is believed to have been a burglar. After firing four bullets into the woman's body, the young man turned the weapon upon himself. The man was not identified, but the police found letters in his pockets, which they believed would, I would make identification comparatively easy. He was fashionably dressed in expensive clothes and wore a button of the Order of the Knights of Columbus. According to Cornelius, he was aroused by the noises of a man climbing through the window. As he leaped from his bed to grapple with the intruder, two bullets were fired at Mrs. Cornelius. As the frightened and distracted husband dashed into the hallway to summon, uh, to summon aid from neighbors, two more shots were fired at his wife. Then the intruder fired a bullet into his own brain. With his body falling across the corpse of Mrs. Cornelius, weltered in its own blood. Which, if you look at the picture, which I'm going to post for you guys on social media, uh, yeah, I mean, literally, underneath her, the bed is, like, soaked with blood. Um, later, the man who shot and killed Mrs. Cornelius at her Brooklyn home earlier today and then committed suicide was identified this afternoon as George F., and I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, I'm sorry, McAgnan. It's M-C-A-G-H. A.N. McCagan of Jersey City, assistant yardmaster of the Pennsylvania Railroad. So what in the hell is going on? Why is this guy in her house? Oh, that sounds so sketchy. So, so sketchy. Doesn't it, though? Yes, it does. Okay. So, June 17th, the headline... States, bride slain in her home by stranger to husband. Slayer commits suicide. Mrs. Cornelius killed in Brooklyn by man identified as George McCagan. See, in this, in this one, they don't spell his name the same way. Husband's find husband finds bodies. Had run for help when intruder climbed through a window. So that's the headline. And then here it comes into a little more detail. Sorry about the background noise, people. I have neighbors. A man climbed into the ground floor bedroom of Carmen Cornelius's at number 90 Hopkinson Street at a little after one o'clock in the morning. Cornelius was waked by the screams of his young and beautiful wife, Barbara. While he was upstairs seeking help, Mrs. Cornelius and a man who, whom Cornelius could not recognize were found shot to death in the room. One puzzling mystery followed. <sighs> oh my God. Only one mystery? Uh, just, just one? One puzzling mystery followed. Another, as the police and coroner tried to get light in the matter. Late this afternoon, the dead man was identified by William J. Morris, assistant freight manager in the Pennsylvania Railroad Yards in Jersey City, as George McCagnan, an assistant yardmaster of the railroad. McCagnan's friends were shocked when they learned of the shooting. They describe him as a devoted father to his six children. No, not six, four. That was a mistake in the newspaper. All the other places I find say four. They were left motherless a year ago. Again, I don't think that's correct. I found something that says it's multiple years, like two or three, actually. Since his wife's death, his sister has been his housekeeper, according to Morris. The identification followed the discovery of a label in the man's well-cut coat of a Jersey City retail clothing store. I love it that they used to be able to, like, go to... You know, there were so many less people, Ma, right? So, like, you had yes. your clothes, you would go to the store... And, like, it had the label of the store that made it so the cops or anybody could kind of, like, if you, they were looking for you. Well, that still happens to this day, but you have to be filthy rich. Right. Like, you're not going to be fucking wearing a shirt from Walmart and they're going to find you based off of that. I'm talking about, you know, like, yeah, you, they find are, it in the bowler hat yeah, or in... These are... Nowadays, it's high-end 
high-end clothes. If I mean, anybody's a tailor or a seamstress and you know what I'm talking about, feel free to email me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Um, there's other cases that I found where they figured out who, like, the people were through the clothes, you know, where they were, like, just bones and shit. So, yeah, we'll come to those stories later. But anyway, going back to this. So, McCagnan's name was no more recognized by Cornelius and the dead woman's relatives in Brooklyn than the man's features had been. So nobody knows who the fuck this dude is in this girl's house. Her family doesn't know. Or, or I guess, more to the point, uh, what he was doing there. Right. It's not even a question of... Well, he's a burglar. His, his name, well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think he was a burglar. Oh, that's okay. shit. That's just me. I've never heard this story, but I don't, I don't think he was a... Well, guess what, Mom? Postcards found in the Cornelius home were taken by acting Captain Duane and Lieutenant Carey of the Homicide Bureau as indications that the dead man, who had a signet ring and a scarf pin bearing the initials G, had known Mrs. Cornelius more or less intimately. Well, I wonder... I, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Acting Captain Duane and Lieutenant Carey, while searching the apartment for clues found several postcards signed G, one of the initials on the signet ring worn by the murderer. Mrs. Cornelius was known to her intimates as Bessie. Two of the postcards, which bore no stamps and probably had been mailed in envelopes, read, Dear Bessie, wishing you many happy returns. To one who loves you, that you may enjoy the present Christmas tide. G. The second, no the second little postcard read, Dear Bessie, Wishes, wishes of season, dash, a self-made man. If all were like Lincoln, what a grand world this would be. G. So those are little postcards they find up in her place, right? Okay. Ew. The man's shin bone is scraped. This is a quote from, like, the corner. The man's shin bone is scraped freshly, as though by the edge of the window frame. Neither of the two latch keys in his pockets, which contained, besides only 17 cents, fit the door of the Cornelius apartment. So clearly, motherfucker doesn't live there. So, Cornelius told the coroner that he was wakened by his wife's scream. He knew that there was someone in the room, but he could see nothing. He ran upstairs for help. Okay, so, until recently, Cornelius would leave his house at about one o'clock in the morning. He was a butcher, apparently. An injured hand had kept him at home several days. All right, so... I just, it's like, this guy's like in their house and this guy has no clue. Like the man of the house has, the guy who owns this place has no fucking clue who this guy is. And all this time he's thinking he's a burglar. Burglar my ass. Yeah, he's burgling something. Your wife's vajayjay. That's what he's burgling. Anyway, so again, headline, young wife is murdered by burglar while her husband summons help. Guilty intruder kills himself. All right. If you're a burglar... Why in God's name would you kill yourself? You try to get out. Huh? Huh? Mm. Mm. <sighs> After firing four bullets into the woman's body, the man turned the weapon upon himself. I'm like fast forwarding over shit I've already told you. Um, so he's wearing these Knights of Columbus pins and buttons and stuff, but it turns out this guy, George, the murderer, is not a member of the Knights of Columbus. Um... So the husband says, and I quote, I was unarmed and thought it was best to summon help, help, declared Cornelius. So I ran up the stairs to the apartments of Robert Jones 
an, uh, an actor, they call him Bob, Robert Jones, the neighbor, they call him Bob, shouting, Bob, for God's sake, let me in. Just as Bob Jones, his brother Lester, and myself started downstairs, we heard three shots. A second man is reported to have been seen running away from the Cornelius home during the shooting. Robert Jones told the police that burglars had broken into the basement of the house not long ago, stealing about $200 worth of goods. So you see where the assumptions of the husband and the neighbors, they're saying they saw some second dude running away. Is this true? Next headline I find from June 18th, which is the next day, the headline reads. Now it's been 24 hours. Murder and suicide instead of a tryst. J.F. McKagan on finding Carmen Cornelius at home kills Ladder's wife and himself. Tragedy in the early morning. So here it says again, she's 25 years old, not 22. Shot instantly and killed in bed in her apartment. Okay, at 90 Hopkinson Avenue. So George F. McKagan of 106 and a half Erie Street in Jersey City, a widower with four children who then sat on the edge of the bed and shot himself to death. McKagan's supposed to have been an admirer of Mrs. Cornelius, and he sent a bullet after, Mrs. Corne after Mr. Cornelius as the husband fled through the door of the apartment, believing that McKagan was a burglar. The police found in the apartment the letters and postcards that they say were from McKagan to Mrs. Cornelius. Above the door of the Cornelius apartment, okay, above the door of the Cornelius apartment hung a Knights of Columbus pendant. In the lapel of McKagan's coat was a Knights of Columbus pendant, but he is not a member of the order. The husband insists that he's never seen or heard of McKagan, and he was not known to other tenants of the building. Persons in the neighborhood who viewed the dead body said that they had seen him in the vicinity recently and at a drugstore at Macon Street and at Hopkin, Hop, Hopkinson, bleh, sorry, Hopkinson Avenue, it was said that McKagan frequently made purchases there that might be intended for a woman. Aww. Isn't that sweet? Yeah, I like it. Cornelius works in a butcher shop. It has been his custom to leave his home at 1 o'clock in the morning to go to work. He overslept yesterday morning. Remember, because he had hurt his hand, so he hadn't been to work in a few days. Um, he was awakened just after 1 o'clock by the noise of someone moving in the bedroom. He said his wife screamed, and as he jumped out of bed, the intruder fired a shot at him, which struck the foot of the bed. Actually, I'll, I won't do it now, but I'll check the photo later and see if I can see that shit at the end of the bed. Um, Cornelius then ran upstairs to the apartment occupied by Robert Jones, an actor known as Bob Dawson. That's what he goes by. Um, his brother, Lester Jones, and their mother. For God's sake, help me, cried Cornelius, as they opened the door for their terrified man in pajamas. There are burglars in the house. Jones caught up a policeman's nightstick and as the two men started downstairs they heard three shots two in rapid succession and another an instant later cornelius went to the street door to look for a policeman while jones ran into the bedroom of the cornelius home there was only a dim reflection from a light in the bathroom when cornelius entered and switched on the lights and the men saw mrs cornelius lying on the bed with two wounds in her head by her side in a contorted position in which he is um was the intruder blood flowing from a wound in his head he died a few minutes later Police, who reached the scene a few moments later, summoned Lieutenant Carey, who took charge of the case. Four hours questioning, failed to change Mr. Cornelius' story, because this guy's telling the truth. Woke up from his wife's scream, some guy's shooting at him, he runs to get the neighbors, his wife is dead, the dude's dead on his bed. 
I can't even imagine. Uh, the story still sounds fishy. I, I just, it doesn't sound even halfway plausible. Okay. So, Detective Carey finds the postcards, right? And I know I read two of them, but apparently... Dear Bessie, from one who loves you and wishes you many happy returns on Christmas. That's another one. Dear Bessie, best wishes of seasons from a self-made man. If all the people in the world were like Lincoln, what a grand world this would be. G. And it says actually GM, this one. Another one says, and this is the one that is the clincher right here. Quote, wishing that you may remain true to the one that loves you. May you never be troubled by physical ills or mental troubles. May your path be strewn with roses is the sincere wish of one that adores you. G. Oh, find me a puke bucket. I was just going to say I'm going to fucking throw up in my mouth. Um, <laughs> find me a puke bucket. <laughs> yeah. So clearly, something was going on there. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if, if that was going on, why would you shoot her? Well, that's, that's... And then kill yourself. Okay, so good question. So, let's continue. Uh, none of the communications were dated. The postcards apparently had been enclosed in envelopes when mailed. McKagan's body was not identified until 12 hours after the shooting when his, you know, uh, superior uh, came and found him. The, like, his boss, manager, whatever, had read the newspaper accounts... And so he went to Brooklyn to identify the guy because he figured it could be him. It says, McKagan lived with his sister Jenny in a small two-story building. She said last night that she knew nothing of his infatuation for Mrs. Cornelius. So this is his own sister. A search of the dead man's room revealed no letters from Mrs. Cornelius. McKagan's sister that he went out early Wednesday night, that was the last that she saw of him, According to his sister, McKagan's wife had been dead for three years. See, so that original article I read said one. It's actually three. The four children, all girls, ranging in ages from 5 to 12, have not been told of their father's death. So at that point, kids don't know. All right. So, Mom, the last bit of this article says, clandestine love affair. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mrs. Cornelius was the second wife of Mr. Cornelius. And when his first wife, who was Miss Jessie Lang, divorced him a little more than three years ago, the dead woman, who was then Miss Barbara Siline, 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 whatever, was named as co-respondent. So he was seeing her while he was still married to his first wife. Right. And so when they did the divorce, ergo she's asked to... Be kind of like a witness, I guess. Yeah. Basically, Mr. Cornelius's ex-wife called her out in court mm -hmm. as the mistress in the divorce decree and all that shit. The dead woman's mother, Mrs. Joseph Gass of 330 Palmetto Avenue in Brooklyn. Palmetto. Palmetto, I'm sorry. Palmetto Avenue in Brooklyn. These things are so faded. Said she had never heard of McKagan and that she knew nothing of her daughter's love affairs. So, McKagan's sister doesn't have a fucking clue. His kids are too young. They don't have a clue. Uh, Barbara, Bessie, as she's known to her intimates, 
Uh, she, her husband doesn't have a clue. Her mother doesn't have a clue. I don't know how secret these people were keeping this, but I mean, they've kept it on the low. Nobody seems to know. It's very strange. Cornelius said he had never heard of any other admirer of his wife and declared that he had never seen the postcards and letters found among his wife's effects. Now, entrance to the apartment was gained by McKagan through the front window, the Cornelius home being on the ground floor. The police believe McKagan's action showed that he had an acquaintance with the details of the Cornelius apartment. Hey, hey, like he had been there before. Yeah. Lester Jones, the neighbor upstairs, said that just after the shooting, he saw a man run away from a corner diagonally across the street from the house. The police believed that that was just a passerby who wished to be out of harm's way when he heard the gunshots, right? Uh, late yesterday afternoon, the two bodies were taken to the Brooklyn Morgue in the Kings County Hospital where an autopsy was performed. Dr. Charles West, coroner, coroner's physician, said the autopsy revealed nothing that would alter the police theory that the case was anything other than murder-suicide. Okay? So, last article I have is from June 19th. So this is just a three-day span of newspaper articles. And really, there's not anything really after that. I, I tried to find it. Uh, intruder kills bride and self. Husband returns to find wife and rival dead. See, now they've made this dude a fucking rival now. This poor guy didn't even know, this married guy didn't even know this guy existed. Well, now they had to I mean, the, the, the lover existed. I mean, I'm sorry. Now they had to make it interesting, right? Right, right. Affection bared by cards. Carmen Cornelius declares he never saw Slayer before. Wife's, wife named in first mate's divorce. Okay, so again, they bring up the divorce in this again. So, they talk about the murder in the home. They talk about McKagan firing the bullet in his head. The husband of the woman told the police that he was unable to throw any light on the tragedy, which we already know. But it has been established that McKagan... These are my, these are my dogs deciding to fight in the middle of the podcast. This is, this is ridiculous. Do you not like the story, guys? Nah. Guys. They got better things to do. I'm trying to do a podcast, please. <laughs> this is hold they're, they're sorry, a great sorry everyone just give me one moment while I while I just whip out some treats a second here because <laughs> seriously they never they never do this but today they decided oh see the chihuahua right away is like you got a treat I'm done done playing sorry everyone for the little break of the murder suicide here you go there you go alright Moe's and Chicky have gotten their treats everyone so we're okay till the end of the podcast you guys freak me out alright so, it has been established that McKagan had been in love with Mrs. Cornelius for some time and that he had visited her, visited her frequently in her home. Why can't I speak today? The husband says he has never seen the man before. Similar statements have been made by members of the wife's family. So they don't know who he is either. Okay. The police are unable to say whether McKagan went to the house with the intention of killing Mrs. Cornelius or whether he acted on impulse after he learned that Mrs. Cornelius was not alone. Because remember, her husband was supposed to have left by work to work by now on his regular schedule, but he was running late because he had hurt his hand. So... Which still doesn't explain why he would want to kill her. I mean, all he had to do was hide. So, according to the story of Cornelius, he had been in the habit of going to work at 1 o'clock in the morning. 
He says that he slept late that morning and did not awaken until 1.30 when the barking of a pet dog aroused him. So, the street light is burning and he sees the man coming through the window, right? As we all know at this point in the story. Cornelius is positive that the man had a revolver in his right hand. So, he had run upstairs, he went to go get the help. She's dead when he comes back. Powder marks on the right hand of the of the of George McKagan, so they know it's him. So, de- uh, the husband is questioned for several hours after the shooting, and again we learn through Mister Cornelius that she is the second wife, Miss Barbara Cornelius, and that she had been named in the divorce decree because Miss Jessie Lang was not letting that shit go down without being on official paperwork. It said. That William J. Morris, who was McKagan's manager who came to identify the body, identified the handwriting on several postcards found in the Cornelius home. So even if before that people didn't think it was George, it was George. Now the guy's identifying his handwriting. McKagan had told his manager, ready for this? He was in love with a woman in Brooklyn that he called Bessie. He also said... That McKagan, who was 35 years old, was a widower and the f- a father of several small children. The name Bessie, found on several postcards in the handwriting of McKagan, not stamped. They bore similar messages of affection and contained nothing that would indicate that either he or Mrs. Cornelius thought of murder or suicide. Okay? So all of the letters are these little affectionate lovey postcards. And there's nothing about them wanting to fucking die and be together until the end of time and eternity. Ergo my point that it's fishy. It is, it is, it's, if, if the husband, I honestly think the husband had something to do with this. The, the reality is, I guess at that time, 1915, uh, you know, there was no CSI. There was none of that because he might've committed the perfect murders. So I thought about that for like a minute and a half. And then I'm like, mm, maybe that's maybe this guy's really an innocent bystander. And then I find this. This weird little blog post from somebody, and I'm sorry, I don't know who who it is to give them credit. I'll I'll find it again and I'll I'll post it. But it says an eerie murder suicide from a hundred years ago, because I do want to give them credit. So this is what got me thinking when I found this, that I, what you and I thought at the beginning is not correct. So, he had been a widower, right? Self-made man. Remember, he says that in his little note, mm-hmm. self-made man. Mm-hmm. He earned the equivalent in 1915 of what would be $35,000 a year in today's money. So, good money, right? Good money. George was also an army veteran of the Spanish-American War. So, we got a war vet. Spanish-American War. Mm-hmm. Can't even imagine how the fuck that... You know what I mean? Like, oh, side note for everyone. So my mother's from Spain, uh, born, in, <clears throat> born in Spain, immigrated to Canada. That's where I was born, in Montreal. So, um, yeah, it's when we talk about Spanish-American War, that couldn't have been anything but a bloody fucking nightmare. So I can only imagine the PTSD maybe this guy had, possibly. Five foot seven, McKagan joined up in 1898 at the age of 21. His parents were from Ireland, 
He was from Jersey. He had been working as an assistant yardmaster from as early as 1905. So, the yards could be a dangerous place, and George was required to carry a gun. Having met Bessie in Jersey City the year before, so he's, he's, he's widowed, right? And he meets this chick. And she's nice. And she's pretty. He fell in love, but she married a rich, older man and moved to Brooklyn. And after all this, wrecking her husband's first marriage to boot. Right? Because that's what she did. The ex-wife mentions Bessie in the divorce, which we already talked about. Bessie may... Now, this is the guy's blog, right? So, Bessie may have been so treacherous, but it pushed George over the edge. She had kept his love notes, and since he knew which window to climb in, there may have been secret trysts with George since her new husband worked the graveyard shift. Her husband is mentioned in the papers, as I've already stated, as well as a wealthy produce market owner. Um, even though they say a butcher, but I guess he was a... I guess he could have been a butcher. I, I, get, I take it he was more of a grocer. You know what I mean? Uh, Bessie was often seen... This is weird, too. I haven't found this anywhere, so I want to know where the hell this guy got this from. Bessie was often seen using the pay telephone two blocks away at the drugstore. Okay. So well, that would make sense, right? She's not making the calls from her house. No. She, right? She's smart. And where was George buying the stuff that was like gifts for a woman? At the drugstore. At the fucking drugstore. So. Remember that Mr. Cornelius had hurt his hand? He had a bobo. And he couldn't go to work for a few days, right? Yep. And so that kind of off shift thing is kind of what made him oversleep the night that he was supposed to go back to work. Okay. So, this is the middle of June, sticky hot, New York. Is it that hard to believe, and that's when I started to think about it, is it that hard to believe that they were actually having an affair behind her husband's back, and he is supposed to come into town, right? And coming to town from Jersey to New York, if I'm not mistaken, they put it here somewhere. It was like, oh, here, it would have included going from Brooklyn to Jersey would include two boat rides and numerous trolley cars at the time, right? So we're talking about 1915. Yeah. This isn't your jumping on the fucking freeway and taking your Dodge Neon, uh, you know, across the bridge into Jersey. No, you had to take, hello, two boat rides and numerous fucking trolley cars to get to this bitch. So is it that hard to believe that being jealous, lovesick, the whole nine could not play into this? whole scenario he had a date with her that night or shit got he had a date with her the, a few days before but she had to cancel on him because the husband was at home and not going to work and he's now getting all pissed off and jealous at home in jersey and he's got all this time to fucking brood about it we all the time over back into brooklyn i'm, I'm still he's got the gun I, i'm i'm still of the the notion that that the husband had something to do with it you know, I'm just, I'm erring on the other side of um, that maybe the husband killed her and then made it look like he had killed himself. I, I don't know. But if that's the case, why is there no powder marks, powder burns on the husband? You could have washed them off. What do you, they, they They're not that smart in 1915. These fucks don't know. Maybe they do. Well, maybe they do. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, 
again, I'm playing devil's advocate. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, maybe the other guy was stewing and then by the time he got there, realized that the husband was still there and decided, you know, oh, you know, you're, you're trying to get rid of me and I'm going to kill you and then I'm going to kill myself. I mean, I guess anything is possible, but... He's the only one with the gun. The husband doesn't own a gun. This guy has a gun for work, oh. which is the gun that's on him. Or maybe he got the gun away from him. I, I, right? I, I don't know. Okay, so... Basically, this is the end of the story because there isn't anything left except for one small little thing. So there is a photo and it says the apartment was described as being expensively furnished. George scraped his shin, like I said, while making his way in uh, through the window. And so they show the apartment window, what it is today. So I'll put this up for you guys to see it online, too. Um. If you see the little arrow there, Mom, in that that's the window that George had to crawl into to go get into the house to get Barbara and her husband. And the love notes were tucked away in, Bercy, in I'm sorry, Bessie's personal wooden chest. So that's where they found out about their clandestine love affair. Well, she's kind of silly to hide them in plain sight. Yeah, so, and then, you know, well... I, I guess her husband wasn't going in her little hope chest thing. Um, so it says, the discovery of love letters that had been received by the bride of Mr. Carmen Cornelius, wealthy Brooklyn produce dealer today, caused the police to drop the robbery theory in connection with her murder. So obviously, robbery, not the motive. And here's a little blurb of which the guy wrote that he found this in the census and I went and found it as well. Carmen, poor Carmen Cornelius. My mother is trying to portray him as the murderer. <laughs> Maybe he did do it. I don't know, but I feel bad when I read this. He suffered a nervous breakdown, and he ended up going to live with his parents. Because in the census, he's, in the 1930 census, he's 50, working as an office building superintendent and living with his elderly parents as a bachelor in Brooklyn. Uh, so sad. Yeah, he died at the age of 60 in 1940. Well, that was a pretty old age for those times. Yeah, and what's crazy is that Carmen was 35, the same age as George when the murder-suicide occurred. So he was the same age as the lover. And by happenstance, Carmen used to work the railroads too. Like five years before George started working the railroads, Carmen was like working the railroads in his late teens. So at some point... They may have intersected. You don't even know. You don't even know. So it's like, wow. I mean, we're talking about 1900 and 1905. So who knows that they could have passed each other and never even known. No, it's, um, it's, it's interesting that they, they, they thought it was murder-suicide or that's, that's the, that's how the story apparently goes. I mean, I just, I don't know. I just kind of, I saw the picture, pictures Let me look at, it at the beginning. Let me just take a quick gander. Yeah, take another gander at that. And let me see this. It's very difficult. You cannot see the end of the bed. If you did fire from the end of the bed, it, it would not show you that. 
I mean, one would think that they were, they were posed. Do you know what I mean? Well, he, well, she, she woke up screaming and he shot her. So she, she's in the correct position to, you know, so you see her, she basically slumped back and head off to the side. And then the shots bled out. I no, mean, he, he, he looks, double tapped her. He, he, he looks like he just, somebody posed him. It's, um, yeah, it'll, uh, you know, um, but again, that's what happens when you sit on the edge of the bed and put a, put a bullet in your brain. Mm-hmm. You tend to fall over. I mean, it, I mean, and he's laying right next to her. And again, you guys will see the pictures, but, and it's crazy. And if you look, um, look, mom, this is what also kind of did me in. He put his hat on her. So I'm walking over to around to my mom so we can both look at the picture at the same on the same side. He put his hat down before. So she's like covered in a blanket and like you can see the top from like her breasts up. I mean she's wearing a nightgown, but she's got the blanket on from her breasts down. And he it's almost like he sat down on the edge of the bed, like they said, and put his hat down on her belly area and then basically put a bullet in his head. And if you look Here's the blood from when he shot himself. So there's a big splatter of blood right underneath her head where obviously he double tapped her. So she's just, you know, bleeding out of the head. And thank you, neighbors, for being so nosy today. Uh, for being for being so noisy today. I can't speak today. I'm sorry, everyone. Um, fuck's wrong with me, ma? Um, and he, you could see off to what would be the right of him, uh, left left of him when you're looking at the photo dead on um, is the almost like little blood splatter of what would have been his headshot or it looks like but I mean honestly it's just it, it, it's just when you look I at see it, what you mean by it looking posed it, it looks like they they're like like dolls that but have been also look at this mom you see how his legs are mm-hmm. he was sitting with his legs crossed on the on the on the bed mm-hmm. um well when he was in the sitting position you see and mm-hmm. when he shot himself in the head, he slumped back, but his legs didn't fully come apart. So another thing that makes me believe that he was sitting on the edge of the bed. And who's going to fucking sit on the edge of the bed and allow themselves to get shot? That's that's my only well, thing. Well, or maybe he wasn't. Again, maybe he he didn't realize that he was he in the room. The husband was in the room. Yeah, he uh, didn't realize that the husband was in the room. You could be right. And, I, I, you know, it's, it's an interesting picture. And... Uh, I guess I guess people will make up their minds. Um, I you know again, people people out there who are in the uh, my fellow peeps uh, in the um, you know pathology coroner's department uh, funeral service uh, all that good stuff. Um, CSI's <laughs> yeah. Um, when I put these up, I'm sure some of you guys have seen this, obviously, because a lot of us have that sick humor to us. Um, that we want to see and look at everything and find out. Uh, let me know, let me know when I put up the pictures, uh, or if you know this case, um, what the uh, what the story is or what you think it is. I mean, I, I, I think it probably is a murder-suicide. I mean, it would be really interesting if Carmen did do it, and now, you know, then he had a nervous breakdown and lost his business and his wealth and everything else uh, because of it. If it is a murder-suicide, that's pretty fucked up. That this guy got that well, jealous. That you know, he... it, well, I mean, I, and again, when I, I mentioned it the other day, um, when people commit suicide, you know, it, it seems to be a little self-centered. You know, they, you don't, he had four 
Four little girls. Four little ranging girls. Ranging from five to 12. With no mother. No, now I guess they're living with their, well, they were living with their aunt. I'm going to find these little girls, by the way, guys. I, I haven't been able to do my genealogy um, research like I'd like to on this one. Uh, but I'm going to, and I will update you guys probably in the next upcoming episodes as to, as to that and a few other ones. I did find some on the, uh, the Anna Horning case where she shot her husband in front of her sons. Yeah. And Chicky says it's time for us to finish because he, he wants to be petted. He, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want us doing this anymore. You see, look at the look on his face. Wow. You know, it's the end of the podcast. So you have to run over here and yeah, he looks like he has this, you know, like the, those, wow. those paintings of those dogs or cats with those big, sad eyes. Wow. That's you know, exactly that those what he looks big, like. Sad eyes and he just, he just stares at us. And for all you uh, pet lovers, cause we're a uh, huge animal fans over here. I'll post pictures of my lovely fur babies as well. Ooh, yes, yes. Don't fight each other while the podcast is still going again, please. <laughs> here we oh, go here again. we go again. Okay. <laughs> Guys. So on that note, obviously yes. the dogs are telling us that it's time to go. So on that note, guys, uh, we will see you soon. Say bye, mother. Bye. Bye, guys. Talk to you soon. <laughs>